0: Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512 836 0590. Now, here's Carl.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're coming up on our 29th anniversary. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows. You may also go to the free app SoundCloud and listen there as well. And then this Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour giving me ample time to do my best to answer your questions, 512-836-0590. Kenny Braummeyer and I were talking recently uh, and we got to talking about gold and silver and he wondered what my views were on that and and did I see them in similar fashion. And the answer is I really don't. Silver has, uh, in some ways, a lot, but not even in some ways, probably in many ways, a much broader industrial use. Uh, It's much more of a commodity in that regard, even though people consider it a precious metal. And as a consequence, it can have performance characteristics that you wouldn't anticipate with gold gold is obviously a limited supply I read once that there's something like the amount of gold that's ever been mined is still out there and that the global supply increases by about 2% a year Uh, so there's some differences that way the other thing uh, and I know if you're a regular listener you've heard me say this but I think it bears repeating for the longest time during certainly my professional career, the ways to own gold were to own the bullion, or to uh, have coins, or to own the gold mining stocks. There were challenges with each of those. Certainly you had a storage issue with the bullion, uh, and you had to obviously pay somebody to, to sell it to you and turn around and buy it back, so there was transaction costs. And in the case of the coins, they're obviously much easier to store However, there was markup because of the mine, of the minting costs, and again, you've got to have uh, a broker who has an inventory of gold, and she's going to sell it to you at some markup, and if you want to liquidate it, she's going to take some markdown for that. The gold mining stocks uh, for years were the financial asset of choice to follow gold. I remember back when gold peaked in 1980, and the gold mining stocks were really, really popular. The challenge with that is that every gold mining company has different fundamentals. Uh, it's a little bit like an uh, in, in oil and gas company. What is what's their cost of production? There are probably some gold mining companies who probably could uh, make money with gold at fifteen hundred dollars an ounce, uh, but not at a thousand dollars an ounce, etc. So it, understanding which companies to buy gets to be really complicated, and the performance characteristic that I've observed over the years is that when gold is in favor, then uh, the mining stocks tend to do better than the actual underlying metal. And when gold is out of favor, the mining stocks tend to do worse. It's kind of like the energy stocks, oil and gas stocks can, can have the same kind of characteristic. So along came, and I can't tell you when, but in the last few years, as exchange traded funds became popular, uh, there became an ETF, it's probably, I think legally it's an exchange traded trust, but anyway, trades on a daily basis uh, on the New York Stock Exchange, there are two big ones, one from State Street called the symbol GLD, and one from a BlackRock symbol IAU, and they also have many shares, whether it's IAUM and GLDM, they're inexpensive, uh, they represent real ownership. If you're interested in the metal, you can go and look at the website. You can see, you can actually see the gold in storage. So uh, given this year is a pretty good example of, of the difference in performance characteristics, gold has sold off recently, and I'll get into the, what I think might be the reasons for that. But through yesterday, the year-to-date return on that IAU, for example, ETF is 0.14%. And the year-to-date return on the silver ETF SLV is a minus 10.40. That's a huge difference a disparity, if you will, or a dispersion between those two. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be times when silver will outperform, but for the different characteristics. So gold was, uh, uh, as I recall, last year down a little less than uh, it's like 0.6 percent or so when stocks were down 18 to 35 and bonds were down double digits this year gold was up for a long time about five or six percent has sold off pretty sharply recently so that it's flat for the years I mentioned a moment ago why is that well historically a strong dollar has been a bit of a headwind for gold and the dollar has strengthened and the second is interest rates in a higher interest rate environment uh, other things become more attractive. Um, fixed income instruments become more attractive, and obviously gold doesn't pay any income. So I'm not. I might, do I wish it were going up? Of course I do, but I'm not surprised, given frankly the rising interest rate environment as well as the uh, as uh, the other pressures that I talked about. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text five one two. Eight three six zero five ninety. 590 or otherwise we're going to have the uh, always threatened and never appreciated uh, bloviation. So I encourage you to call or text. So I've got some tidbits, just in case you enjoy bloviation, I've <laughs> got some tidbits here. Here's one I read today. Uh, it's, it's entitled, Shut It Down. Since 1990, There have been six partial or full federal government shutdowns in the United States. While the length and depth of these shutdowns varied, their impact on the stock market has been negligible. From the month before each shutdown started to one month after it ended, the S&P 500's median performance in these six periods was a gain of 5.5%, with positive returns five of the six times. Frankly, I was surprised by that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Jerry, you're on the air. How may I help?
2: Yes, uh, two point question. Yes. Uh, currently, Vanguard's money market fund is paying about five and a quarter percent. Huh. Yes. And the bonds are paying less. Yes. How do they maintain that five point two five percent?
1: Uh, the simple answer is they're really n- they're not buying bonds. Uh, what they're buying in, is commercial paper to a significant degree. They could be buying some very short treasuries. Money market funds have uh, as their business model to buy debt instruments that are a year or less in maturity. So if the ten-year treasury is say four point seven percent, and the and the Vanguard money market fund's over five. It's because they don't buy the the 10-year treasury. And so they'll buy commercial paper, which, just to make make up a hypothetical example, let's suppose that uh, IBM wants to borrow money for 120 days. Uh, They can go out into the financial market and say, we want to borrow $100 million. And because of their credit quality, there are buyers there who will then lend them the money for a short period of time. And they'll pay that 5% or whatever the market is at the time. And the money market fund uh, wants to keep the the, the the people who run the money market fund want to keep it at $1 per share. And in my experience, since the beginning of money market funds back in the late 70s, early 80s, to my knowledge, there's been one exception where they, where they call it break the buck. And it was a standalone money market fund. It wasn't associated with Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab or anybody else, and they own some They owned some short-term securities, but sadly, they were issued by Lehman Brothers, and you may remember they failed as the global financial crisis started, and they couldn't get their money out, and so it went below a dollar a share. I really don't think that's a risk today. When interest rates were extremely low, as they have been for so long, I read that Schwab uh, was actually subsidizing the money market fund by not charging their full operating expenses because it was costing them more to to run the fund than the interest income that they had. They're all making a lot of money at it today. So the bond market And The money market are are two different places, and right now we have this thing called an inverted yield curve where you actually get paid more in a money market fund or a one-year or a two-year treasury note than you do in a 10-year note or a 30-year bond. That's very unusual, Uh, and sometimes... It implies that or even predicts that we're going into a recession, which we clearly have not as of yet. But there'll be a time when the Fed lowers rates and we'll get back to what's called a positive yield curve. And then those longer term bonds will yield more than the money market fund. But altogether, that's the reason the money market fund's yielding more than the bonds. May I ask another question? Of course, please.
2: Uh what would be some good indicators that it's time to move back from money market funds into some short term and mid term bonds?
1: I would say uh, we're at that time now uh you You could wait for fed policy uh to see if there's you know the current consensus is there's one more twenty five basis point hike, maybe not this year but into next year there's going to be you don't want to wait too long, frankly, uh, because uh, there's a lot of data that indicate once short-term interest rates peak, the next 12 months for stocks and bonds tend to be very, very good, and you're going to want to extend maturities. And I agree with something you said. I would, I think it's a, uh, an excellent time to take some of the money in the money market fund and put it in an intermediate, what's, what Morningstar calls a core bond fund, so you're not taking credit risk you're not buying high yield bonds and you're not taking a lot of duration risk because it's going to be about the same as the bloomberg ag or even shorter so uh you know whether you like passive with like i'm not recommending but like vanguard's bnd uh etf total bond market or you like actively managed they're all down right now the if the uh, etf agg uh is down 2.12 percent total return year to date and BND is down 2.04. One of the uh, core bond funds, active ones that I look at and use, is down 1.73. So uh, I don't think you have to go all in, but if we're close to the peak in, in Fed fund rates, uh, it's looking like a very good time. And I think because you're starting at this high rate, you know, you're starting with. With dividend yields in the four and a half to five and a half percent, you don't have a lot of downside risk. If if the bond market continues to go down, but you're getting in at this level, you're talking about very very modest short term risk anyway. So I might put some to work now, but I think if you if you wait, you might get a better deal. But once once based on history, once the Fed stops raising rates, they a lot of times they don't just leave them there for a while and give investors a time to extend their maturities they begin to they begin to drop the rate in bond investors around the world then rush in to buy bonds driving up the price of bonds and down the yield so you're welcome to wait but it's not in my view it's a worthy time to add some core bond funds personally thank you very much you bet thanks for calling you're listening to money talk on news radio klbj call or text 512-836-0590
0: I'm going to talk with Travis when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a question, call or text 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety, 836 590 And I forgot to thank Kenny Rameyer for his great help last Saturday when I was broadcasting from Iowa City. 512-836-0590. Travis, you're on the air. How may I help?
2: Hello, Carl. It's good Hi. to
1: talk to you. Thank you.
2: Listen, I have a question. I need you to get me straightened out here. <laughs> for simplicity, let's suppose that I'm 65 years old Yes. And I have a million dollar portfolio of stocks well balanced, well diversified. Uh Uh-huh. If I decide I want to retire Monday, I should be able to, based on history, start taking out four percent a year, and that money should last me for thirty years. Yes. At four percent a year, I'd be able to take out forty thousand dollars a year. Yes. Now let's suppose I wake up Monday and say, Forget that. I'm going to liquidate the entire portfolio. I'm going to turn around and buy a million dollars worth of 30-year bonds that are yielding 5%. Yes. And now Uncle Sam's going to pay me $50,000 a year guaranteed. He's going to deposit $25,000 every six months in my checking account. Right. And then in 30 years, he's going to give me the entire million-dollar principal back. Right. If that's the case, why would anybody in that scenario own equities right now?
1: Sure. So, first of all, and I know you know this because you sound like you think about this stuff a lot. If you look at the typical, let's just say a pension fund. So, let's just use the Employee's Retirement System of Texas. They have people who are going to retire and they have to provide them lifetime income. So, now that interest rates are so high would the Employee's Retirement System of Texas do exactly what you said? And the answer is no. On the other hand, let's suppose that uh, you and I owned uh, an insurance company and we had promised a life insurance company, and we had promised our policyholders a death benefit for their beneficiary. Our actuaries would tell us uh, when that money was going to come due, and uh, we could possibly buy bonds that would show up when actuarially that was gonna be the case. So insurance companies really benefit from from rising, from higher rates uh, when they put new money to work. But you and I are like the pension fund. And 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 the big problem is uh, we don't know what's gonna happen to our cost of living. But if we use a traditional, say, 3% inflation rate, and your $50,000 in 24 years has to be $100,000 to have the same purchasing power as it does today. And that's what's wrong with bonds only. There's nothing wrong with bonds. It's the only instrument where you know what you're gonna get and when you get your par value back, but it doesn't keep up with with the rising cost of living. And if we go through periods of time where the cost of living is up more than that, then you really have a problem. Secondly, a lot of retired people find that their expenses change and they spend more t- more money, for example, on health care. And if health care pri- prices continue to rise, and I think that's a reasonable assumption that they will, then you've got another problem in that your income is stuck at fifty thousand dollars a year. So I would say that's the in in your hypothesis in your hypothesis that's the problem is that you've locked in income. You have nothing that can increase over time to keep up with the cost the cost of living, and that's the. Reason Reason, that it would not be a good idea.
2: But wouldn't it be true that of that million-dollar portfolio that I'd never be able to take out more than 40000 a year based on its value today, tomorrow, when I start taking it out? So
1: that, that, uh, what you're talking about actually is a little more complex. The way I understand it, the way it was, if you have a balanced portfolio and you can take the previous year-ending value – and take 4% of that in the form of annual income. That, as you well know, that creates some volatility in income because you could have a year like last year where stocks and bonds are down and uh, at the end of last year, you would have had to have taken out less than you did the year before when stocks and bonds were up. But when you put the whole thing together over, say, a 25 to 35 year period, and you use, and I guess you probably know, they use something called a Monte Carlo simulation where they take all the actual returns from stocks and bonds and throw them into a computer and do 1,000 iterations. You come up with that kind, that kind of number. So you would, you would actually have rising income over time because the portfolio would grow over time based on history. And you would then have income to keep up with the rising cost of living versus at strictly the 50000 per year. I see. Well, in that that Monte Carlo scenario,
2: would there be any assets left after 30 years?
1: The answer is uh, what I've seen is that uh, it deals in probabilities. And it says that if you have a balanced portfolio and it's either 30 or 35 years, you have something like a 90-plus percent chance of not running out of money. But, of course, you've hit upon the the part that's difficult is doesn't mean you can't outlive your money. If you're 65 and live to be 100, then you've got a real problem in the last few years of your life. You don't have enough money to live on. So, yes, there's a risk in that. It, most uh, pension funds uh, and retirement software take that risk because they think it's mo- it's an acceptable level because it's so low. Okay. Well, thank you. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening Bye. to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 836 0590. Les, you're on the air. How may I help?
3: Good, good afternoon. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, I have a mutual fund right now. Yes. That I'd like to be able to borrow against, to, you know, down payment on a house, but unfortunately, the mutual fund I'm in doesn't have that option so uh i was told that i could convert that to an ira without any penalty
1: so let me tell you what i'm going to do it's pardon me for interrupting you but it's 29 minutes after the hour and this is a really important question for you i'm going to ask isaac to put you on hold we're going to take a break here at the bottom of the hour and then i'll come back and talk with you when we come back you're listening to money talk on news radio klbj stick around for the second half of the show
0: you're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We have another half hour here together. When you have a financial or investment planning question, call or text 512 836 0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience, download podcasts of previous shows, and you may also go to the free app SoundCloud, do the same thing, and then this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. 512-836-0590. Les, you're back on the air. I think we ought to just start at the very beginning. Just ask your question again, please. Well,
3: I've got a I've got a, uh, a mutual fund. Yes, through a, for- a former employer. Yes, uh, I I can't. There's not an option in the mutual fund to borrow against it. Yes, so I was. It was suggested to me to withdraw and put it in an IRA, and then I could have flexibility with the with the money. Your that's
1: thoughts? yeah. That's that's not accurate. Um, so uh is the is the mutual fund from the former employer is that in a 401k plan or a 403b plan less yes okay if it's a former employer the part that you were told that is accurate is that you can put it in an ira that's called a rollover you select Uh you you know you select a custodian and then you open an account ira account of that custodian and you sign a bunch of documents transfer request form and an IRA you have beneficiary designation etc and then you go to the former employer and you tell them what it is that you want to do and they'll have you sign a form and the form will say, do you want us to send you a check? And the answer is no. Do you want us to, to send you a check payable to your IRA? The answer is yes, or they may send it directly to the custodian. Now the money in the, is in the IRA. You cannot borrow out of an IRA. You cannot pledge an IRA as collateral. You can take the money out of the IRA, and whatever amount of money you take out, if, if the money that you put in the 401k was pre-tax and the employer's contribution would have been pre-tax, then the value of that mutual fund in your new IRA is all subject to income tax when you take the money out. How old, how old a person are you, Les? Sixty-eight. Okay. So, there's no penalty because you're over 59 and a half, but whatever amount you take out will be added to any other income you might have interest, dividends, Social Security, pension. So, you cannot uh, borrow, you cannot borrow uh, against an IRA. I'm sorry.
3: Is there any whacking? Is there anything I can do with that money where I can borrow against
1: it? Absolutely not, because it's inside a retirement plan. The only way you can borrow against it is if it were never in a retirement plan and you had Uh, simply invested it in your own name or your joint account. Then you could could use it as collateral and get what's called a margin loan, but you cannot do that with retirement plan assets.
3: Well, it's too bad, but I'm glad to know. Thanks.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk. On News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 836 0590. All right, here we got another tidbit. September is finally over, it says. September lived up to its reputation as the worst month of the year, but it's over now, and October has historically been a much better month. I think we're talking about the stock market here. Since 1945, the S&P 500's average performance in October has been a gain of 1.1%, with positive returns 62% of the time. Along with October, November and December have both average gains of about 1.5%, with positive returns at least two-thirds of the time, which I thought was pretty interesting because I always think of the great crash in uh, October of 1987 made me very anxious about October. <laughs> You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, Schwab estimates stock portfolio returns will not be as strong in the next 10 years as the previous 10 years. Would you agree with this idea? The answer is I would, and the reason is because of interest rates. It's not a lock that it works this way, but generally speaking, in a period of falling interest rates and low interest rates, that's been a wonderful tailwind for risk assets, particularly real estate and stocks. Uh, and you can see it's easy to understand with real estate because you have borrowed, a lot of people borrow money to invest in real estate. And if you're paying 2% for the money instead of 6%, you can see what that does. But what's protocol price earnings ratios also are affected by interest rates. And stocks are frequently priced, if you're an academician, you know all about this, based on future earnings. And when you use what's called a discount rate, future earnings in a higher interest rate are worth less today. If your discount rate's 5% versus, say, 3%, the current value of those future estimated earnings are less. So we have had a 40-year decline in interest rates. Not straight down, but August of 1981, I think it was, uh, the 10-year treasury was priced at over 15% and went all the way down to one and a quarter. Now it's uh, Getting close to five. So, just that fact alone should be uh, from this starting place a headwind for risk assets. Your second question was my thoughts on geopolitics impact on long term investing. Wow. Uh, I think unexpected things geopolitically, like wars, um, have an impact. There's no question about that. Um, But Generally speaking, as I think back, uh, it has more to do with the economies of countries, the growth prospects of the countries, and where the geopolitics fit in is whether those countries are investable or not. So if you have a country that that has historically defaulted on its debt, let's say Argentina, you're going to have to get a pretty darn high return to be investing a lot of your money there. China is, a, is an interesting situation because it appears to be becoming less transparent. Uh, they've now no longer giving their unemployment rate for young people uh, and the, the less information that you get uh, on an economy, uh, because it's driven by local and geopolitics, the less attractive the investment environment is. So I would say unexpected re- exam- things, uh, war in Ukraine, if you owned Ukrainian stocks, for example, or uh, other than that, probably lack of, of, of accounting transparency have have an impact. So that's how I think about that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text. 512 David, you're on the air. How may I help?
3: Yeah, Carl. Hi. Uh, what are you suggesting that we do with our uh, cash that's sitting in uh, savings accounts?
1: If I had cash and I didn't want to invest it, I didn't want to invest it in bonds or stocks, then I would use a money market fund. It's actually a money market mutual fund, and there are three kinds. There's a treasury money market fund, which invests strictly in U.S. treasury securities. Then there's a government money market fund that invests in U.S. securities as well as government agencies. The two big ones are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And then there's called the prime money market funds they can invest in treasuries and government-sponsored government, enterprise, government sponsored enterprises, GSEs, but also can invest in corporate debt as well, all very, very short-term. And each one of those pays a little more income than the other one. I like the middle one, the government money market fund. And a lot of uh, mutual fund companies and securities firms offer these if you are a do-it-yourself person uh, you can go to places like fidelity or schwab or vanguard get over five percent in today's market and have the money you get daily liquidity you're not locking it up for any length of time we haven't seen these returns on cash in many many years i will say this and it's not the answer to your question because you didn't ask this there will come a time probably in the next 12 months, where those returns are going to start to drop because we're probably going to have either a reduction in inflation and or a recession, and that will, the Fed will start to lower interest rates when that occurs. But right now, a money market fund is better than a money market account at a bank and certainly better than a savings account. And in my view, I think they're quite safe. Okay? Anything? Anything else? No. Okay. Well, uh, yeah.
3: What? What? Uh, what is your advice, or what do you think about the uh, going digital?
1: I don't think the currency is going to go digital. If that's what you're asking for, it's going to have both. If we, we don't live in a cashless society like some countries, like China. And it, yeah. if it goes digital, it doesn't. It, frankly, it doesn't really matter. Because then you have digital dollars instead of having instead of having what you have now. I mean, we have our money in the bank. The bank doesn't have all our money there. They take it and loan it out, right? Uh, it's not just sitting right. in the, not sitting there in the vault. So I think that anything that suggests that somehow the currency is going to go away is just totally and completely mistaken. That simply isn't going to happen. We are the world's reserve currency, and other countries don't have to use the dollar if they can trade with other countries in yen or sterling, uh, or they can trade in goods like grain or semiconductors. But at the end of the day, the world central banks have to own something, and they own gold and they own U.S. dollars more than anything else. And so uh, the digital currency idea, uh, frankly, will improve commerce because uh, it will increase the speed at which transactions can be done. But we're not going to get rid of the dollar or get rid of the currency, in my opinion.
3: All uh, right. You don't, you don't think the government will come in and uh –
1: uh, devalue our dollars no they don't get they don't get to choose the, the world decides the value of the dollar not the government government can de- try to devalue the dollar the way they would do that is they would flood the economy with capital then we would have rampant inflation and it would be very bad for the government they can't fl- if they, if you put more supply of dollars and you don't change demand then you have more dollars chasing the same goods and services and prices skyrocket. Then you're real then the government's really in trouble. So the last thing they want to do is flood it with dollars.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. right. Okay, well
1: good. thank you very much. You bet. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a break. A perfect time for you to call or text. Five one two 8360590 I'll be back.
0: You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradio.klbj.com. Now, here's Carl.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another 10 minutes, so if you're thinking of calling or texting, you're starting to run out of time. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Here's a text. Carl, we recently moved stocks in kind from a managed account to an unmanaged account. Now we have over 400 stocks. Holy moly. In our unmanaged account. 400. Zowie. If we want to pull out 1%, should we sell the stocks with the lowest current value, over 100 stocks? The stocks with the greatest losses three stocks or some other method well because it was managed before and now it's not i'm guessing it was a discretionary relationship where you weren't making the investment decisions and so you don't have a particular viewpoint on whether it's it's, you should own or sell apple or microsoft or exxon or chevron and 400 stocks, in my view, is way, way too many. So if you have small, tiny positions, whether they go up a lot or go down a lot, it's simply not going to make any significant difference, mathematical difference, to your portfolio. So unless I had a view about one of those tiny stocks that would cause me to buy more so that I could have a reasonable position, I'd probably start with some of the smallest ones and get rid of them. Now, the other side of that argument is if you're going to keep these and you don't know anything about them and it's no longer managed, you really need to stop and think about that right because that's not a good idea, and so you 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 might want to consider, and obviously i don't know your tax situation because this is a uh, a text and not a phone conversation. There's no reason, in my view, if you don't know anything about these, for you to hold them unless there's some huge tax reason to do that. I think you'd be better off to get in a broadly diversified mutual fund, start with an index, stock index fund for domestic stocks. You can use an S&P 500 or a total stock market exchange-traded fund, and you can use a total international exchange-traded fund. And if you want bonds, you can get active management, which I prefer, or passive in an ETF. And you can build a portfolio on your own, but having 400 stocks about which you don't know very much or nothing is not good for your long-term financial health. So I'm answering more of your question than you asked, but I would be moving to getting out of that and getting into a, a much more carefree type situation. Because my experience with individual stocks is you do, good things happen and you don't see them coming. And bad things happen and you don't see them coming. So I'd be moving to get out of 400 stocks if I were you. And if I have tiny, tiny positions, which you may have, I'd sell those to raise the 1%. Thanks for the call. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's another text. Carl. Are any of those three money market funds insured and guaranteed? Absolutely not. No. If you want absolute guarantee, then you should expect a lower return, which is fine. And you can go to your bank, credit union, savings and loan, and get a money market account, which will pay less than a money market fund, but more than a savings account, in my experience. And as long as you stay under the $250,000 FDIC limit, then you'll have insurance. I happen to think, and I said this in my earlier commentary, I think there's such, um, how shall I say this? There's such an incentive for a money market fund sponsor to keep the price at a dollar a share. And I talked about what Schwab went through when rates were so low, they lost money on their money market fund just to make sure it stayed at a dollar a share. So I don't, I sleep nights owning a money market fund. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 836 0590. Here looks like another text. So this one came in. Let's look here. Okay, I don't see one. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio 590, 590 KLBJ. Here we are. Here we go. With increasing national debt servicing costs and interest rates, is a sovereign debt spiral crisis inevitable? And what could leave the Fed holding the bag? Well, right now, interest on the federal debt represents 7% of the federal budget. Is it going to get higher? It's going to get higher for two reasons. Interest rates are higher, so it's going to cost more even if the debt didn't grow. But in 2000, our total debt was about 30% the size of the economy, 30% of gross domestic product. This year, it's close to 100% of gross domestic product. And the Congressional Budget Office predicts it will get to about 125 to 30% in the next few years. And other than during a war, our debt has never been this size of the economy so that portion of the budget associated with debt service is going to grow going to grow right now if you take social security medicare medicaid defense and the debt service that's approximately 75 percent of the budget and so when people run for congress and say, I'm going to reduce waste, fraud, and abuse. Good luck with that, pal, when 75% of it's already already cooked in. So I don't think people run for Congress saying, I'm going to cut Social Security benefits, Medicare benefits, Medicaid benefits, or let's just slash the defense budget in a pretty scary world. So I don't think that we're close to a, Nash, uh, close to, uh, a debt spiral crisis, and it's not because... Uh, we don't deserve it. <laughs> it's because, uh, as they say on Wall Street, Tina, which stands for there is no alternative. And I talked about that earlier when I was talking with the other individual. And that is right now, and for everybody who's listening, that the currency, the US dollar, uh, is the reserve currency of the world. Can that change? Of course it can. I assume there was a time when the pound sterling was the reserve currency of the world. But there's no currency alternative today. People say, what about China? Well you got to remember that to have a reserve currency it has to trade freely. Now governments through central banks can buy their own debt and sell it to try to keep the currency from really appreciating or depreciating, certainly heavy export countries like Japan are very interested in that. But the Chinese yuan or renminbi is controlled by the government and not by the supply and demand. Central banks are not going to own that or own very much of it because it doesn't have the characteristics of a reserve currency. So yes, we have a lot of debt. Is it spiraling? I would say it is. Uh, And is that going to end badly? The answer is yes. Uh, But we live in a representative democracy, and right now, no one is prepared to do anything about this. Now, maybe what will happen is that the world will start demanding even higher interest rates than they're getting right now for our debt, and maybe that will put some spine and backbone into our elected officials, but it's not happening this week. Well, a lot of fun this afternoon. I want to thank Isaac for doing a great job, and I want to thank you for listening and remind you, as always, that next Saturday after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk.
0: Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated.